0: Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for listening to the podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Diana Wynn, who is a creative entrepreneur. She's a comedian. She's an MC. She really does it all, and she especially has a great story related to LinkedIn. Check out the episode. Let me know what you think. Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com, and I will catch you next week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Blake Benz Podcast. I say it's good morning because it is bright and early, and I am sitting on a Zoom call with my friend, Diana. Diana is a comedian. She is a LinkedIn expert. She's a phenomenal storyteller, and we're going to hear a little bit from her today. I'm really excited for her to be on the show today. Diana, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Howdy, howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Now, where are you phoning in from?
1: Uh, I am uh, in the middle of my LinkedIn tour. <laughs> <laughs> I am now in Toronto. Just had a LinkedIn local Toronto with Bobby Uma, and um, yeah, I'm halfway through the, uh, through going through America. So you've caught me at the right time. This is my rest day. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. So you're halfway through. So okay. So now we're like, I'm like, okay, this is a whole world I don't even understand. So you're on this LinkedIn tour. What the heck does that
1: mean? Okay. So for me to be on LinkedIn, um, it's not just about content, it's about community. And so when I got into LinkedIn, I got quite addicted to content making and by the comments, by people being engaged on my content. So I co-host LinkedIn Local Melbourne where we bring people who make video on LinkedIn together once or twice uh, or three times a year just to talk about LinkedIn video and so in every city in America and in Toronto they have exactly the exactly same thing so I was able to set up uh, my trip around these LinkedIn locals so I've been speaking at LinkedIn Local LA, LinkedIn Local Dallas, uh, Toronto was last night there was over 100 people talking about LinkedIn. It's amazing how cultish this is. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm to Washington, D.C., New York, and San Fran to round off the tour. Uh, yeah. So this is an Australian girl just dancing around Northern America.
0: Okay. And I, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen one of your videos, uh, so, you know, you have the comedian title. And mm-hmm. so me being like the, you know, super judgmental person, I'm like, okay, let's see how funny this person really is. Mm-hmm. And I watched your video on, I think it was your mom asking you when you were going to get married and, and have, she wanted babies or something. And I I thought it was hilarious. I thought you were great. The thing that was really interesting to me is you had a ASL, you had a sign language person right there, which I didn't, I guess I've just never seen that before. Really? Now now that you asked me, now I'm feeling insecure. I'm like, well, geez, do I need to watch more stand up? or?
1: (laughs) No, it's true. Um, I'm an advocate for diversity and not just for race or, uh, or, uh, or for gender. Uh-huh. I do. Uh, diversity means accessibility. So uh, in March, I did a LinkedIn Live fundraiser where people on LinkedIn could send me $30 and I would sing them a song. Um, so it became this fundraiser called sponsor Comedian. Um, as you may know, in, if you're in the creative arts, uh, we're not rolling in money. We're doing it out of your passion and your joy for other people. So we are motivated uh, sometimes by money to keep going. (laughs) That's our bookmark. So I did a LinkedIn Live for three hours and people were sending me song requests and donating $30. So I used that money to hire an interpreter. Um, Yeah, and, you know, uh, you never know who's in the audience. so. Um, and you know, and I've used, I put it on my LinkedIn a couple of days ago, you know, someone who might be deaf could now watch it. Yeah. Well, I, I, we paid forward.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate it. My wife actually, she's really passionate about the deaf community. She teaches ASL to people who are either they're, they're losing their listening or they're trying to teach it. And so when I saw it, I immediately felt a connection to you and I thought, okay, that's, that's different. That's interesting. I like that now. And I, if, if we can back up just a couple of seconds. You know, you joked about how, um, you know, those in the creative arts aren't just like rolling in cash and it makes me think of, so I'm gonna come across as a stalker cause I've seen a couple of your videos now, but I also loved your video and I can't remember what it was called. It was something like let's talk or let's be honest. And you just talked about the entrepreneurial journey a little bit and just, just, Hey, I want to buy a house for myself one day. I want to, um, you know, it's, it's, and it's kind of this weird dichotomy of like, uh, okay, I'm not like a greedy, awful person, but like, dude, I want to have something. Like I want to have, and I think sometimes balancing those two opposites can make people feel uncomfortable sometimes. And I appreciated you just being really open and honest about it.
1: Yeah, I. uh, it's also coming from a second generational family. Like my mother came to Australia by boat. And so when they've come by boat, they kind of chuck all these expectations for you to be successful. So I had to carry a lot of that in my childhood to uh, you know, succeed at a, a, a level that my mother thought that was success for coming on a boat. And um, So I've had to stand really firm and you know, I've had side hustles. I've worked nine to five and then done my acting at night to make sure that I have a living. Like we need a sustainable living. I, 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 I'm I an adult. I'm not going to live in a house, you know, with a broken toilet. No, I am 34 years old. Yeah. So in the, for the first time uh, in my career, uh, in the last three years, I have been a creative entrepreneur. I have not worked in hospitality. I have not worked in retail. I haven't been an Uber driver. For the first time, um, my salary has just come from the arts and it took me a really long time to get there.
0: That yes. sounds scary.
1: It is scary. It
0: yeah.
1: is. I've, you know, I've worked with refugees for nine years, a government job. To, that was a nine-to-five. Um, and I realized that I was so good at giving to other people, but I needed to give back to my art form. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school three years ago, full time, uh, uh, it was a physical theater school, clown school. And then I, that kind of transitioned me to just be working the art and that's been scary.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think what I really loved about, I, I could totally relate to your video. And I just thought about, there's so many people I talked to who, in fact, I, I did a podcast episode on this and it was called Don't Feel Guilty for Wanting More Money because especially people in our generation, there is this like, I've noticed that people who are like paid the least are typically the ones who also won't say, like here's a good example. There was a, a friend of mine who she, there was something like she was promised like a $10,000 raise if they could take their company revenue from 400 grand to 800 grand. Well, they, they took it to $4 million so times 10. And I said, well, Hey, so you got the raise, right? And she goes, well, no. And I didn't want to come across as being selfish or greedy. So I just didn't say anything. And that's kind of a common trend sometimes with people is it's like, you know, it's, there's, it's, it's almost like money's money bad, you know, or like, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I think people in the arts have always put this perception that they're poor, uh, uh, um, and, and that's because we do struggle. We work. Uh, we we're contractors. So we don't know when our paychecks gonna come in. There's a paycheck coming, but it's not that date like that weekly or fortnightly pay. So there there is that we 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 work by the check. It comes in, we work it. Uh, but in the last three years, and because I've been working the creative arts, I've realised that I need to change my mindset. And especially a friend like I would have walked in and said, hey. Where's my body? I worked really hard for it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't know if you know the Nguyen, She uh-huh. all about collaboration and like we are creative entrepreneurs. We do exactly the same thing that business entrepreneurs do, but in the arts. Like we sell tickets to our show. We market our show. We get bums on seats. We do evaluations. We we do publicity. You know, we we forget as artists we are running a business. Um. Uh, yeah, so I've changed my mind frame about it and that's why I think that's why when I talk on LinkedIn, people understand it because I'm able to reframe the two worlds into one. Mm-hmm. We both work, we, as entrepreneurs, we want to make a change to the world. Mm-hmm. Mind is all about feelings and entrepreneurs are all about, um, you know, money and also innovation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're the same thing and that's, that's exciting when we realise that. They're essentially on the same road together.
0: Totally. Yeah. So, so how did you build like your community on LinkedIn? Because something I run into with a lot of new entrepreneurs is like, oh my gosh, social media is so scary. And like LinkedIn is like the level beyond Facebook where you can't just like post your junk. There's a little bit of a decorum, or you would think so. I've noticed sometimes people don't think that way, even though they have like, you know, their title or company or whatever. But so it's it can be a little intense to people, and so to, to meet you and hear about your journey and how you've created this community that that obviously took a lot of work, and it probably took a lot of just you being really creative about engaging with people. So, especially for like the new entrepreneur who's never done something like that, you know, how did you how did you do that? How did you get into that? And and also maybe why why has that even been important?
1: Um, I I'm a, i I've realized via LinkedIn and been on LinkedIn for the last 20 months, um, my purpose has been about connection. Um, so when you're given a platform that is t- entirely built around connection and community, it's addictive. So I got onto LinkedIn in October 2017. So it was like three months after LinkedIn got, got the application to do the video. And I was doing the one-off videos once a week. You know, I was like not taking it seriously, but I was I kept watching Northern American content, and they were going hard. Like they they knew this was this is magic, and so I was really inspired by it. And I was like, I don't want to be left behind on this train. So on January the first of 2018, I made a promise: I'm going to make a video every single day in the month of January, and I did. And what happened was, I was, I was thinking about um, our discussion for today. What I was thinking about what happens when you're when you're in emotion is that you'd start not caring what you look like on video by the fourteenth video, and you're just whipping it out. That's <laughs> a, a video of yourself. You, you're cutting down these barriers of yourself. Oh. Uh, and I just found I got addicted to it. And this is my, so crazy for people to think they think I've got. By high energy, that I'm so confident, but I'm a theater-trained actor. I'm not a not a screen actor. So it those 31 days really upped my game on screen. <laughs> um, and I saw the rewards of it when I started getting ads, auditions, and I got them. And I got TV work because I had now learned. How to be me on screen instead of being oh this is what an actor looks like and this is what they do. I became myself, and then the person who hired me was like, "We want her." So it really shaped who I was. And after January, it went hardcore. I started making two videos a day.
0: Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Golly,
1: I know because my brain is creative. It uh-huh. was oh, what's the next video, and because I was so quick. Like people are so surprised when I produce videos. I do a full edit. I do it so quickly because when I shoot a video, I already know what the storyboard looks like. It's like when you do a movie, before they shoot the movie, the director and the cinematographer already set what they want to be shot, right? And then they shoot it and then they give it to the editor. So um, when you shoot a video, you should already have in your brain what it looks like. So I was just very quick.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and it, it, it sounds like, and I, I think here's like probably the thing that I really cling to is how you became so comfortable with you in your own identity. Cause I've been through the same journey doing video content, but not even just video content, like just, just giving out my own perspective on like business leadership management. And I think it's coming to terms with the fact of, you know, me and my friends, we talk about, Hey, you know what? There's just always going to be haters. But instead of, and I think that's, or this is for me at least, that I think the barrier that had slowed me down was what will that one person say, as opposed to like, you know, the 90 others who were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I love it. It's great. Uh, and it sounds like you just really became, first of all, comfortable with you. But second of all, really started just to own, hey, this is, this is my skill set. This is what I'm awesome at. And this is what I'm going to be good at. And, and yeah, and you started doing it.
1: Well, when you do stand-up and you do stand-up for five or ten minutes in front of an audience who don't know who you are and are generally men, you grow some balls. <laughs> you have to.
0: Yeah, and wow.
1: That experience of doing stand-up and always standing up for myself. So think about stand-up is that it's 60, uh, so I do a full set. I do 60 minutes. When you do stand-up, you're, you're saying, this is my show. Uh, if you want to heckle me, I'm ready for it. Uh, if you don't like it, you can walk out, but I'm not going to get hurt by it. Mm. Stand-up has been such good training for that wall. Mm. And I love, I love hecklers. I love when I get heckled on stage because I'm I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Um, improver, as I said before, and I just love when people give me energy, I pull out the energy and give it back. And so there's a beautiful communication. And that's why I think why I love video so much is that when I do a video, uh, I'm sending an energy across the video. And when people comment, that's when I know that they like what they see. And then you might have those trolls who don't like what they see, but then your community outweigh that one troll.
0: Mm.
1: It's like a comedy show. That's it. That's it. Video and stand up.
0: <laughs> it feels like stand up would be like, you have people who talk about how like, your biggest fears in life are death and public speaking. It feels like stand-up is like 10 times beyond just public speaking. Cause you have, it really does feel like, and I always feel kind of nervous sometimes, especially like when a friend will send me like, Hey, I'm doing stand for the first time. I'm kind of like, Ooh, is somebody going to yell at you or be really ugly to you? Or cause people, people t- in today's culture, it, it feels like even more than ever, they will just say, and they won't filter it. They won't put any kind of tactfulness on it. If it crushes you, in some cases they're proud of that. Uh, people will just—I mean—they just say things now, and it's like, golly.
1: Well, you know, it's set by example. Um, there, there is no filter, and it's set by the example of the president of the United States. You know? <laughs> He's a comedian. He's clown.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's—it's it's funny to me because I, I think politics in general, what's so—what's so challenging about it is. So, my wife, her name's Joy. Her and I will will watch something. We don't even watch here's what's so funny. We don't watch C-SPAN at all, except for these last four years. We're watching it, we're watching it more than we've ever watched before. Because I'm like, I want to see this person's like testimony or interview or whatever. But so Joy and I will be watching and we're just like, is this really what like politics have gotten down to? Like these are the most incompetent people, like it, like levels of incompetence beyond it's just interesting. I, I don't even and honestly it it and i know i don't want to get the, i don't want to make the conversation depressing but it's hard not to be cynical i guess
1: hmm. yeah cynical and laughter
0: hmm and like yeah the ridiculousness of it yeah
1: well, i i think um, technology has shown that you can do anything you want now
0: hmm. yeah
1: anything anything and like you, know, you can you know I think that's what's so great about video is that it can pull you apart from people. So you can hide behind words, you can hide behind photos. Um, but for the first time we can really figure out who we want to be connected to via video. Yeah.
0: Comedy
1: um, well, a- comedy's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At least you have plenty of material, Right.
1: I guess so. No, but it is nerve-wracking. Um, stand-up is an awful way to do public speaking. It's because, uh, and this is the, the comedy game, which is that I talk and I need to capture the audience like a net, like a fishing net, and everyone's breathing in. They're waiting for, you know, that uh, the joke. Everyone's breathing in, and when I release the joke, everyone breathes, and that breath is laughter.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, Hannah Gasby, who did a show called Nanette, it's on Netflix. Um, she's Australian and has blown up in the US. She talks about this in her show. She said that's the control a comedian has, and hmm. a comedian will do that very well.
0: Hmm. So, so since you're a connector, obviously you love that feeling of of um, connecting with a person. You've talked about how you enjoy doing that through video as well. It it makes me think about. So so I've I've been a little um rude on this topic of like networking for example where I get really annoyed at people who it's like it's like yeah I went to this networking event and it was a total waste of time because no one bought from me like right away or no one gave me money right away and I've noticed that especially for like new entrepreneurs that people don't understand networking in the sense of you're making actual like sustainable relationships. And that's how you build a brand and a, and a, business. What do you think about that? What's been your experience with networking? Um, talk to a little more about that.
1: So our LinkedIn local Melbourne, which I co-host, um, there are rules. So there is no pitching, no selling of your product It is basically just human beings hanging out, learning from each other. So that takes away the, ooh, the cow salesman feel,
0: <laughs> Right. Um,
1: I recently did have a friend try to pitch me a coaching program and I immediately said, I said, stop. I've only known you for 10 minutes and you're already getting in, you're you're already impeding on my face. Um, Let's talk first before you sell. And I think it was a good lesson for me, good lesson for them and myself uh, to hear how that sounds like and you know it was the pitch happened in 10 minutes and I was feeling oh, and it was good feedback for them because they then heard my feedback they could see that I was physically reacting to it and I wanted them to see that I didn't want them to go and do that to another person not learn from it Um, but yeah it's, uh, it's uh, LinkedIn is always pitching isn't it uh, on messages on our videos um <coughs> Do and someone did ask me about how do I create my content? Like I've got a business, I want to sell my business, and I said, "Well, these days we're not buying businesses anymore; we're buying the person." Hmm. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. Well, it, it. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, we're buying we're buying the person and their values and why we want to work with them.
0: Well, I had a, I don't know if you know Lila Smith, yeah. but I had I had her on the podcast and she talked about Jennifer Garner. And how much she loves Jennifer Garner because Jennifer Garner is posting videos of her like eating cereal and just you would you would think maybe even like mundane things. But it's like, oh, my gosh, this is a real person. And so now I want to support that person rather than, you know, some random whoever else there would be. Right. And so I, I think what's tough sometimes for I think entrepreneurs or just small business owners is you feel this obligation to sell in the sense of like, I'm going to starve if I don't but at the same time, recognizing that there's, there's, really, there's a long game to selling well in the sense of exactly what you said. People buy from who they know and ultimately who they trust. And what's the only way to build trust with someone? It's through either you manipulate them through like the car salesman you know, scheme, or you actually help them get to know you and you get to know them.
1: And I, I think um, once you get to know someone and you're championing their products and who they are, you, they, that's and then that's the, the next step called personal branding, which is um, you know they're really good at comedy. It'll be great for you to MC your MC your conference. I'll let other people know about. That's when you know that your marketing has worked. <laughs> it, 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 it extends the second and third network.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So. Um, I, I spent the weekend with Lila. I've met her for the first time and uh, and people have been letting me sit with their horns and that's from the relationships I've, I've created via LinkedIn, um, not by pitching their business but, but who they are. Mm. Now, I will always advocate for these people because they've given me um, family uh, and I, I think if we shift if we shift the sales, why we sell things, it is for connection to make money. But I think in the end, um, the biggest marketing that we could have in our, our tool is um, people who are championing us. Mm-hmm. And I do really believe in that.
0: Well, it, there's an old concept. It's called 1000 True Fans. And it was like an article that was written like a decade ago. And since then, it's like, everyone has like their take on it of like, here's this genius thing I've been thinking about. And it's like, okay, we all know this concept. You got to, anyway, but it's basically, you don't need, you don't need millions of customers. You just need a thousand people who are real true fans of, of you and your business and your brand. And so then the question becomes now, okay, it's less about how do I sell to these millions of people and how do I start building my tribe? of a thousand people who, you know, maybe before they were like, I don't know who you are, but now they're like, they're at least like, okay, yeah, I like Blake. I like what he's doing. And even getting them to the point where like, okay, I really want to promote Blake. I really love what he's doing. And I think people, I think they struggle with that concept because it's, it's totally the long game and people, I don't know how patient people are to really, you know, it's like, it's like the old joke of like, Hey, I started a business yesterday. Why am I not making seven figures today? Instead of understanding that, you know, we're, We're working on this thing for years sometimes before we see real fruit.
1: Well, it's exactly like this podcast. How did you meet me?
0: Through, uh, you know, I met a guy, uh, Fabio, who connected me to Kristen, who connected me to you, actually. So we've
1: we've recommended you because we believed in you. We know who you are and people have just recommended. So in the end, you're... I, I would recommend. So then, my now, now because I'm now connected to you, I would start recommending you. So there's that beautiful ripple effect that happens. Um, that car salesmen people need to understand.
0: And well, here's here's the magic of it: is that I never I never sold Kristen, and Kristen never sold me. You know we you know even though even though she totally could have. Um, actually the first person I talked to months ago was actually string her. And I jumped on a, on a video call and we were talking about like video and like using video and it was just a really great connection, but there was no sell, Right. And so it's funny how you start to build these recommendations with people without any kind of hard sell needing to happen.
1: Well, string was the one who got me onto LinkedIn. She's one of my, um, one of my besties on LinkedIn.
0: Okay, well, she her yeah. she was telling me about uh, how she's built this brand around like the saying of like her getting fried chicken or, you know, it's I thought smart. it was really clever.
1: Yeah, it's very smart because we because uh, that, that is personal branding. Um, the Dancing Diana, I was talking about it with Bobby Uma last night. He's like, you should change all your social media platforms to Dancing Diana, and I was like, but that's just uh, that's just dancing. And he said, but it's a name. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I want I don't know if I want to be known as Dancing Diana because I do comedy I MC I don't know if I want a client to find me on Instagram as Dancing Diana yeah um but yeah but I did go look and see if it was available it's not available so
0: (laughs) so it's a sign the door was closed yeah Yeah. but for our for our listeners who because I I realize I'm just kind of rambling without Mm. giving our listeners context so, uh, uh, string, she, her and I were talking about building a brand and she mentioned how she would always joke about fried chicken, eating fried chicken, getting fried chicken. And now it's, it's, it's gotten to like almost a meme level where everyone can really cling to that. And they, you know, when she jokes about fried chicken, they associate it with, and even when they're you not, know, what she talks about is as, as her people are like are out just eating somewhere when they, she's created this association now where they see like fried chicken on the menu and they're like, Oh my gosh, string, you know? And so it's, it's this really clever. And I know for my listeners, it probably sounds kind of hokey, but it's really clever how she's done this to the point where again, you see fried chicken and it's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. String. Yeah. So. Uh,
1: And uh, recently I I started a kind of joke thing about funny Keanu Reeves because he's hot right now. Yeah. 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 because I've just released a web series and I'm like, oh, my God, I would love him to be in my second season. I need to get him on. And so I've put him on my Facebook so I don't do it on my LinkedIn. But on my Facebook, I'm like, I need to find Keanu Reeves and, you know, have his children. <laughs> <laughs> now my friends are getting into the joke and they're tagging me in Keanu Reeves' videos. You know, there's videos about him being so lovely. and so Yes. Lovely.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, and I – it's funny because I was – Joy and I were talking about – like who's the three people you'd absolutely want to meet? And Keanu was one of them. I was like, Oh my gosh, if I could have him on my podcast, or just like oh. meet him and, or just like, I don't know, just hang out with the guy. That would be really cool. But
1: well, my, my obsession has upped the level. I think when I found out that he was daddy material, I was like, bam.
0: <laughs> See, uh, I didn't I didn't quite go there because I'm already spoken for, but you know.
1: But uh, oh, 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 what was going I say with Keanu? Um oh so I I I've got six baby names um, and my sixth child's name is going to be Keanu.
0: Okay. I love how you've you've planned this out to Uh, six kids.
1: Since I was 22, I've known this for (laughs) a while. No, but uh, Keanu means um, missed behind a mountain. Okay. Yes. And I thought that'd be lovely for a boy. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, you know, and obviously the internet would love your kid because it's Keanu, so there you go.
1: I don't have any Keanu kids.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. There's gonna yeah. be a lot
1: of Keanu, I reckon, in the last next two years.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's funny how there's people who, you know, and 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 I don't want to get back into politics, but it's it's just interesting how you have these people online who, or not even that they're necessarily online, but there's there's people who, on one end, it's like are totally despicable, hard to support, what have you. And what's interesting about Keanu, and it talks a lot, so, so I'm speaking at this event next month on how do you become influential, especially like around our age, like in the 20s and 30s. And I was thinking this over and I was like, you know, really? Just being kind to people goes a long way. But that's not, I guess it's not really that compelling a point of like, hey, go out and be kind. But the more I think about this, you know, what has made Keanu so, so, you know, where everyone's just addicted to him, it's like all of these like apparently what what appears to be very honest acts of kindness, where like he doesn't know the cameras on him, and he like gives up his seat for a woman in the subway, and just it's it's like a humility and kindness combination that really means something to people.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think because um, reality TV and people who are you know on Instagram and got their reality TV shows, um, it's it's. Uh, it's kind of lost the human. It's, it's too f- for show. And then we find someone who's meant to be a Hollywood star. who's just as normal as us.
0: Hmm. That's right.
1: So, yeah. And another person I think has done really well with their branding is Will Smith. Um, like he's, I've
0: seen his YouTube channel,
1: The YouTube channel and his Instagram, his Instagram's popping. Um, he's just filming his family when they're being shits and, um, <laughs> sharing the family moments and, he is a child, and I think for the first time, like he's done movies, he's made hundreds of million dollars, but for the first time, like in the last twelve months, he's realized I am in control of the content I can send out. So you know, he did that bucket list. Um, he's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna experience my life and get let you jump in. Like Jennifer Garner, she dances. She loves marching bands. You know.
0: But <laughs> oh, it's. Um, It's kind of like the reason for this podcast was I was like, because here's the deal. And I told Lila this story. I met this person. I was at this big corporate event and this guy introduced himself by his title and how long he had been in the industry. And he didn't even say his name. He was wearing a name tag. And I guess he just assumed, but he was like, hey, I'm the senior vice president of blank. And I've been in the industry for 25 years. And I, I thought, okay, and your name is... And it was kind of like this, and not all corporations are this way, but I kind of just realized, oh my gosh, we've gotten so addicted to titles and positions being what makes us credible instead of just being us. And so I was like, and what's really funny is I started to meet these business owners who are really phenomenal and doing well for themselves. And they were just so normal, authentic people. They're just like everybody else. I mean, you know, on Saturdays pants are optional. It's like, you know, they just would slum out and life was good. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's these successful people that they're just normal people. And I think authenticity really, I think you're right. It stands out in today's culture and it really means something in today's culture. Yeah. So then the question becomes, how do you encourage someone to come to terms with their identity and actually embrace that authenticity? Any ideas?
1: Yes, so I actually talked about it last night at the at the Lincoln, local Toronto. I I pulled out um pulled out a photo of me when I was seven years old, and I, I gave it to the audience to look at, and they, they were holding it on your And I said, "Go back to when you were seven years old. Where were you? What were you doing? And what was that feeling you had?" And I think that is the most authentic child that that place if you can go back to that place um and then pull all the great things that you're feeling then and use that as your adult you will do you i feel and i i I try to not say the word authentic i said you you can be free Mm -hmm. i think that's what authenticity is about it's about freedom it's about not caring about what people think who you are or what you should be doing. It's doing what is good for you. I'm getting goosebumps saying that because it took me a long time to realise that I didn't need to care about being judged. Like people can judge you but you can tell them to change the channel and you can walk away from them. And I think that's when you get, that's when you get your authenticity right.
0: Well, that's, that's the breakthrough, right? So like, how did, how did you flip that switch? Like, what was the, like, I I feel like some of my listeners even are listening and and thinking like, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I want that. So like, what's, what's, you know, there's not like a hack to it. I mean, how did, how did you do it?
1: If you had to talk about my journey on LinkedIn and how I hacked LinkedIn, because it's a business platform and, and a creative comes in and creates havoc by dancing on it, that's probably the manoeuvre they did. So String talks about candy, which is what attracts people's eyes. We are, we are very visual people. Um, so what I ended up doing was start dancing and started to mess up with people's visuals of what LinkedIn is meant to look like. And through that, I was showing them that um, I can be a fool and be free and just, you know, just go for it. And I don't do perfect dance moves. I don't do choreographed dance moves. I no sound sometimes. Like I went to Japan and the sound of the birds chirping was my soundtrack and I dance with no sound on. And I'm telling people you don't need to be a professional dancer but you can be a professional human being. <laughs> you can be in your body and that's why I love dancing so much because we can all do it. We don't need to go do a class. We can all sing a song in the shower. We can all tap into things that we did when we were seven. Like I used to, as a child, um, like I had a very disruptive childhood. I remember my escape was to sing songs while walking home with my school bag. And, and I still remember, you know, walking on the cracks and you know, dancing while singing my original song. That's why, for me, my childhood, if we can tap into our kid that was so curious about life and not scared about getting hurt and then take that into our adult world that we're in, that we're told this is the correct way, I think we can break so many forms. Hmm. So uh, I I capitalised on Dancing Diana and that's why I've got a following because people are like, she's just being silly and she doesn't care. Mm Mm-hmm attracted to that and I didn't realize and I just thought it was a, a an attention seeker thing but then people started coming coming in saying thank you for being so much sunlight thank you for being um thank you for making me smile this morning I needed it and then I realized that my purpose wasn't to dance um it was to bring uh, to bring some joy to other people's lives yeah
0: well and you use you use you use a phrase. I found my purpose, or I realized my purpose was, and it, it feels like there's people out there who they they desperately want to cling to that, but then they're like, I don't know what my purpose is, right? That's a very, uh, it's it's a very, I don't say it's an intense concept, but it's a powerful one. It's like it's like, am I walking in my calling and my purpose? In my, you know, Lila used the expression, "I was made for this," and so these are really powerful you know, self-reflective understandings. How did did you get to that point of like, oh my gosh, you know, because, you know, it's not that even LinkedIn was like, oh, I was made for LinkedIn. It's like, oh, I was made for X, Y, and Z. And I just so happened to walk it out on LinkedIn. How did you find that for yourself?
1: I was stuck when I started making LinkedIn videos. I, I, I was in a rut in my own creativity, in my own work. Uh, so it took me probably a good 12 months to realize who, what, uh, I'm, <laughs> I was really stuck and by doing LinkedIn and showing up for myself, it was like, kind of like when I say meditation, like you, you get to do it regularly. You, you, if you want to get to the Nirvana, you can't just do it once a month. And all like when you run a marathon of 52 kilometers, you can't just do that run once, you've got to train for it. So the LinkedIn videos trained me, and my community were always there for me. And then I was like, okay, why are they there for me? What why are they always turning up for me? What is it? And and then, I um, and this is probably deep, I was in a very bad relationship as well i was in a very uh chaotic and toxic relationship and it was very jarring with the content i was pushing out Mm. so people were like joy you're so joyous and then however my personal life i was in a relationship where this person didn't see that they actually made me um they made me go deep into the ground and made me feel shit for who i was and i feel like um, the people that I met on LinkedIn, they kept going, you're so beautiful and you're light and the sun. And then I was in this mind warp of like, no, but why the person I love doesn't see that? And I think oh, it's been such an amazing journey. That's why I'm so addicted to LinkedIn and video content. I really believe that um, by showing up for yourself, you are taking care of yourself and figuring out who you are. And I eventually got rid of that relationship only six months ago. Wow. Um, and I really, really, I say that the LinkedIn video or making video content helped me flush that out. Mm.
0: Well, if, and if I could just park there for a second, because you, you point out a really awesome, I don't know if it's like a revelation or, or what I would even call it, but, So there's people who I talk to sometimes who they, they, they're like stuck in the middle of who like they, it's like, they've caught a glimpse of all these amazing things about themselves or the life they can have. And then like current circumstances or, and that could be a bad relationship. It could be a bad job. It's like a friend of mine who, well, here's, here's what I'll say is I've noticed that people in general are very slow to be aggressive and almost like abrasive in like, going and getting that life. Mm. And I was going to say, I have a friend of mine who he hates his job, hates it, despises it. And I'm like, what are you going to do? And he's like, uh, I guess I'll work there for five more years. And I'm like, oh my gosh, five years is forever. That's so long. But I've, I've noticed that trend though, and people who it's, I'm so unhappy, but, and I don't know if it's like we've forgotten. I love to use the word curiosity of like when you were a seven-year-old. I don't know if we've, if we've just forgotten like the joys of life, but it seems like we've just accepted, oh, it just has to... It's kind of like when I met my wife, Joy, it was the first time that I realized, oh my gosh, you mean relationships aren't supposed to be like miserably hard and like awful? And then I met her and I was like, wow, I had I had no idea. And so I, I think your story is really powerful in that you recognized the circumstances that weren't contributing to your purpose and then you you let those things go. You moved on from them, which is easier said than done, right?
1: It took a while, but I did it. I think as I think people need to uh, remember, sure, we all struggle, but there's a time limit to struggle.
0: Yeah, I love that. I need to call people on that. I love that. That's really good.
1: You are making the choice. So I had amazing friends, LinkedIn friends like Nora and Kiki and Tima, who are my LinkedIn girls in Melbourne, and they always boost me up. They sat front row in my comedy show. They mm. said, you're a beautiful person. We believe in you. And I, I'm, I think when people keep saying that to you, you're going, what is that? What is that bad omen that's over there? And, um, and because of these people, these new people who had no idea of my past life, but could see who I was presently, they didn't have any judgment of who, who Dinah was five years ago, mm-hmm. but they saw who I was now transmitting my energy via video. They said, you're great. You need to decide when your struggle ends. Wow. <laughs> and they, there's no, they, look, it's true. If someone tries to push you over the cliff, you're not going to go. You need to push yourself. So I've, and friends I've had for 25 years, they just, knew that I had to do this on my own. No one was going to hold my hand in it. And that's why I feel so more powerful in myself because I made the decision and I had these people behind me waiting. And those are your true friends.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I feel like true friends also will, um, you know, they'll they'll give you the hard truth. But I love how, how your, in your story, they also respected the process of, you having to walk through it, like so. Joy and I sometimes will give advice to people, and then after the, after we're done, like having dinner with them or getting coffee or whatever, Joy and I will be like, "Okay, yeah, they're still gonna do, <laughs> they're still gonna do the opposite." And it's just because people people a lot of times they just have to. It's not because I don't mean it like in a judgmental way, because Joy and I have friends who even to us who are like, "Why are y'all doing that?" And we're like, "We're just dysfunctional. Who knows?" But it does feel like there are certain things you have to just walk through yourself and for things to click just for between you and this experience. And um, hopefully, you know, it clicks a little faster than, you know, whatever trauma or damage that can happen when you, I, I, and I love the way you put it. There's, there has to be a timeliness on staying in a certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think even that for people who are trying to think of like a very practical, like how do I move past Whatever that thing is, maybe maybe putting a end date on it is a very tangible but powerful thing that people can do. I don't know. I'm not a therapist, so I have no idea.
1: Too, <laughs> well, but we live in our lives, I guess, and we experience things, and what we can do is share experiences, and people can take it or leave it. Right. And I think that's powerful in itself, and that's why I think LinkedIn has shown that. You can show up and tell a story, and might not connect with everyone, but I might connect with ten people. Mm. And um, yeah, I, and, and I and it's like meeting you. Um, you know, we I feel very connected. and I felt so um, free to tell you my shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, yeah. Love is hard. Love love yeah. is all around. Whether it be friendship or a, a, a partner, or for your children. We all want the best for each other, but in the end, and I think that's what LinkedIn is showing is that you're going to do it for yourself. Mm, Show up for yourself. No one's going to make that video for you. No one's going to tell your story, and that's why um, I've been really like sending it out is that the reason why I love LinkedIn so much is because of the women. For the first time, women can say whatever they want Mm. on their profile page. You know, Um, we're not, and I'm excited about that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you you put out a video um maybe 3 or 4 days ago on diversity and and I have to be and here's what I'll say even to um my listeners cuz I've have, I've have listeners from like all over the political spectrum, um more conservative, more liberal, just just all over the place. And what's really funny actually to me is this total like rabbit trail is it's funny how like aggressive people can get on their viewpoints on like social media. But then when you have a conversation like person to person, it's like, oh yeah, let's actually talk about this and like exchange how we see things. But um, beyond that, I think what I appreciated about your video, so like I'm a man, obviously. And I, I just, so at the same time I saw your video, I someone from LinkedIn reached out to me and said, hey, will you comment on this article on women in the workplace. Cause I do a lot of coaching for, uh, for female owners right. and on, you know, women in the workplace, you know, how do they own their strengths? You know, what is this? And I just felt like this wash over me of just nervousness. Cause I was like, golly, I don't, I don't. And so let me, let me get to what, my point of what I'm saying. I, I, the reason I enjoyed your video is because for me, I, it, it takes me recognizing, okay, I'm not a woman. I don't understand I can't relate in the sense of I don't know the challenges that come with just having a different gender than me. And so I appreciated your video because it it helps me understand a better perspective and it, it causes me to lean in on something that it doesn't make me uncomfortable because I'm anti-women. It makes me uncomfortable because, one, it's a world I don't understand, and two, I really want to understand it because I want to advocate for for my friends who are women who are in the workplace. Um,
1: and I want and I did that video to hear your perspective of a man because I feel like with all the movements that I have in the last couple of years, um, and I, I spoke to another female about it, that men don't know how to act now. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want that to happen. We want you to be you. Authenticity is sure. like authentic, you, right? We don't want sure. you tiptoeing around. Going, I'm like, so I just thought, Let's have a conversation instead of bashing each other or going, this is me. Uh, I, I would love us to have debates. Sure. That's the greatest thing about human beings. And we like, uh, uh, you know, in it, like getting into the conversation without hurting each other.
0: Right. Well, and it, it feels like that can happen really easily person to person. But what I've noticed, especially online, is people are so quick to label. Mm. You know, well, you're to disqualify, and it's like the way to win the argument. It's, it's, well, you're, you know, you're a racist, you're a sexist, whatever. And like on one level, it's, it's okay. Well, just, well, then don't say racist things if you don't want to be labeled a racist. But also, it's like, it's, it's, it's. I've seen people just try to engage. Hey, I don't, I don't understand that. I want to know. More. A great example of this would be like. So I, I was a high school teacher about a decade ago, and I was working in inner city Houston. And I had grown up in a private school, mostly white, and suddenly I was working in the school district where it was like less than 1% white. And my whole life, whenever public school had got brought up, people had always said, oh, that's, you know, their parents don't care about them. They don't care about school. And that was the social construct in my mind because that's what I had been raised in. And then suddenly I get immersed in this world of, of kids who I deeply love, who are just who are just so like they're missing class because they're also the kid is the breadwinner, full-time job person for the family. And, and they aren't coming to school, not because they hate school and they don't, they're just lazy. Uh, which is another like thing that just, I get a kick out of it. People like to say poor people are lazy. It's like, okay, really? But, but Getting a different worldview has now drastically shaped my perspective, one, of public education, but also people who don't necessarily have what other people have. And I think I wouldn't have had that if I didn't have an opportunity to really engage in that environment. And and here's what I'm getting at, is that I think a lot of people, they're, they're afraid to step into, okay, I want to explore this world and understand this world. And it keeps them from actually learning about that people group, or, you know, really just a perspective that's different from them. Yeah. And even, you know, it's funny, even though now that I've said all that, I'm like, I hope I didn't say anything offensive there. Because that's kind of where social media has gone. It's like, oh gosh, I said something offensive. But
1: well, when I, I heard you say that, I thought Gangsta's Paradise. The song? No, the, the movie.
0: <laughs> I haven't seen it.
1: Oh, Michelle Pfeiffer goes into the school and...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: like minority kids, but she was the minority. She was a minority... Right. Diverse school, and you saw the struggles of the kids. So um, people go to me, "Wow, you empathize. Your heart's full of gold." But that's because of my childhood. Like I watched a refugee mom try to raise three kids on her own. Like I, I saw a woman cry, trying to feed us. You know, trying to put money on the table. And I was working. I was mowing the lawn when I was ten years old. I was the man of the house. I was sewing. I was sewing 10 cents per pants to help put money in, give my money, my mum money. Um, and and I also ended up working with refugees who just arrived because I empathize and saw the struggle my mom had. And now I wanted these kids not to go through what I had to go through my mom, which was a a silence, a history silence of my mother's refugee journey. Um, and so so, so then I left that refugee world uh, uh, to help these young people to be, to be involved in their community, to now working with not just people, regardless of colour, regardless of what their uh, the story is, just to um, do exactly the same thing, which is to give joy and laughter. And hear, And people have, been, people have found it really jarring when I've done the comedy and funny stuff. But then I did a deep video about respect. Mm. Yeah, I had a comment where guy's like, Where's the funny? Like, it was a massive, re- yeah. I think for my personal branding, I just set it up so hardcore. And I said, But no, this is, but if you want all of me, 100% of me, this is me too.
0: Yeah. It yeah. actually, <laughs> that comment reminds me of did you ever see, this would have been a decade ago, when Jon Stewart came on CNN's Crossfire? It was like, so it was a show, and I have a lot of respect for Jon Stewart in the sense of of what he's doing today. So, I guess like a decade ago in America, there was this show called Crossfire, and it was the whole point of it was let's bring on someone who's a strong advocate on the right and someone who's a strong advocate on the left, and let's have them, you would think, have like civil discourse, but it's not. And it's kind of like today's American political system where it's like, they just scream at each other and it's like, oh my gosh. But that's kind of what it was back then. And so John Stewart comes on and he's, you know, been on the Daily Show and he's this comedian and he's this amazing person. And they have him on and he says, he basically says, Hey, what you're doing is it's tearing apart the fabric of America. You are you are furrowing the divide between two sides instead of bridging this together and finding, okay, how can we have an actual discussion? And what you just said was interesting to me because one of the hosts said i thought you were supposed to be funny and like ha- had the same heckling type comment to try to disqualify him and he was just like no sorry like that's not it's not what i'm doing you know
1: people in comedy are generally lawyers or journalists who who just nail it mm. and, and johnson i think he's advocating for the 9-11 conversation yes. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know he hosted a tv show he is funny but he's, I think his true purpose is for justice.
0: Yeah. 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 And
1: that's his powerful calling.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Here's a question for you to think about. And I'm kind of just formulating in my head as I'm thinking about it. How would you encourage, because I I think here's what someone advice someone gave to me is I'll see like a video or I'll see a different perspective and I, I feel uncomfortable because I don't understand it. But I had a friend of mine, a mentor who said, Hey, I think what's good for you is to really lean into that discomfort. And like really, like it's it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to lean into it. How would you encourage people who maybe they have a certain set of political ideas, they have a certain perspective, and they feel that same discomfort, but they're curious. Mm-hmm. How would you encourage someone to because I, I think also the reason that people don't engaged to try to learn is, is again, because of, especially on social media, people are so quick to disqualify. They are so quick to, um, you know, I, I, actually, I remember there was a dad who I talked to, it was on social media who his, his daughter identified as a man. And I asked the question, Hey, I'd love to learn more about that. Cause I don't, I don't understand that. And I, and the, the dad was actually really incredibly like, yeah, let's talk about this. I want to explain what I think about this. But a third party commented and was like, you are the biggest bigot I've ever met. And all I had asked was the question. And I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like a lack of justice. I'm not like telling the story. So it's like my listeners, please tell me I'm amazing. But I remember, I remember thinking the dad and I are having this great dialogue, but this third party is very angry. And so how does someone in... Start to engage in an area whether it's diversity, whether it's just something they're not familiar with. How do they engage without the fear of the fear that prevents them from actually making that engagement because of what people might say, how they might be labeled? And I know that's kind of a heavy question. I don't.
1: Well, yeah. There's there's a point I can give you. Uh, well, even hearing from what the discussion with your dad is that you got the correct source. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, and then from that, that's, that's where you go, well, the person I was interviewing uh, was happy with my interview and maybe you need to do your own (laughs) reality. check. But yeah, I've had a lot of questions about how do I talk about things that really deeply affect me and I want to help people. And uh, my tip is everyone has a story. Everyone has had some kind of trauma. The one thing that the audience want to make sure is that are you okay when you've told this story? Mm. Because the worst thing that could happen is that the person listening or receiving going, "Oh my god, are they okay?" Like, "Oh my god, should I call them?" Like, that's and that's why you um, stand up, like you you go deep into stories, but you always come out with a laughter, and then the laughter tells everyone we're okay. I've processed it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So you, use the app, you apply it to that too. You tell the story, but you make sure that at the end you, you're you assuring the audience that you are okay. Mm. You've got people around you and you've processed it. And if you've got those two things, people behind you and you've processed it, it's going to be fine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and it, it feels like, again, it goes back to being okay with Not everyone will cling to your messaging or will appreciate your perspective. And, you know, it's funny how I can say, so like related to business, for example, or like leadership or like management, I could say like a sentence about how do you manage people? And on one hand, you'll have the person who's like, wow. And then on the other hand, you'll have someone who says like, how old are you? How many people have you managed? What do you know about management? You're an idiot. And it's, it's, the same, it's the same exact, and so where I've gone with my coaching business is, and obviously I'm trying to get better, I'm trying to do better, I'm trying to become a better coach, but I've, I've become a little less, um, I guess, apologetic when someone doesn't resonate because I've seen people who have really clung to what I've said, and so what it tells me is maybe this message isn't for you, or, or maybe you just aren't in a place where you can, so like a good example of this is I talk a lot about ego and how ego is really damaging to the sake of your business, managing people, whatever. Well, the people who are naturally inclined to be humble and more teachable are like, yeah, let's talk about ego. But the person who is threatened by that is probably the person who really loves their ego and loves what it has done for them professionally. And so I've tried to be less, um, make decisions based on what that minority of people say. And I guess you have to.
1: Yeah. So. And the biggest ego is ourselves too. But if we know how to filter build, like, build and take care of our ego, um, that's also a, a really good magical process too. Because yeah. then the bigger egos that you should stay away from.
0: Yeah. Well, it feels like we've had a really um, – I feel like emotionally exhausted because we, we had a really deep conversation – uh, so for our listeners, this is actually the first time that Diana and I have sat down and talk. I hope there's another time at some point. Uh, Diana, you are absolutely just the most authentic, incredible person. So thanks so much for coming on the show today. I want to know how can my listeners, one, how can they support you? And then two, what do you offer any kind of services? Do you offer anything that people would, uh, eventually maybe purchase from you or buy from you or, you know, that way you're not a starving artist.
1: Um. <laughs> I'm on holiday, no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how can we support you?
1: Yeah, so I've started a one-on-one uh, coaching program uh, to help uh, particular women who have a message and uh, don't have the confidence to do it. And, I, and I'm really proactive about helping women open their souls so that their message hits further out. And it it can be anything, really, uh, I'm more dedicated to social justice and about sustainability in our world. Like how do we keep surviving in this world? So it it might be a TED Talk or it might be a boardroom meeting or might be trying to get a promotion. How do you stand up for yourself? Wow. Yes. Um, But I am a comedian, I am a performer and I perform in Australia and to perform in America I need a visa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I do hope one day I can get to perform here in America um but yeah I I am on Instagram at being.diana and my LinkedIn is my home I'm always on, and this is the funny thing I've been in America for two weeks and I've I already used 80 gig
0: oh my gosh yeah
1: wow <laughs> <laughs> yes so um yeah I I am on LinkedIn a lot the same okay. I'm, I'm on content. I'm uploading. I'm networking. I have maxed out my my monthly usage in two weeks. So, um, hmm. you know, why.
0: okay. So for the listeners, definitely uh, follow her on Instagram, LinkedIn, and absolutely connect with her. W- would you prefer people to connect with you, especially about that coaching program? Would that be via LinkedIn or? Okay, great, perfect. Well, thanks for being here. And for our listeners, thanks so much for listening. Absolutely let me know what you thought. Blake at com, And if you like the episode, leave a review, let me know, and we will catch you later. Diana's recording this, so now I'm like, okay, we got to cut this thing short. Thanks for listening. I'll see you.